0: Welcome to the Wise Women Diaries podcast. This is where shame and victimhood die. I am a woman that questions everything, so this podcast is a reflection of that. Here we speak on non-mainstream perspectives, like healing our childhood wounds, learning to trust ourselves, the voice of fear versus intuition, and how children are our teachers. We discuss what it looks like to own your power as a woman and step out of the medical paradigm. That's why I am obsessed with interviewing women who trust their bodies and babies in home birth and free birth, and their wild journey from maiden to mother. Ultimately, this podcast is for women who want to thrive and have inner peace, learning how to take radical responsibility for their life and shed victimhood,
1: for good. Hello, my name is Christina. I recently gave birth to this sweet little sleepy baby who is going to be three months tomorrow, which is so crazy to even think about. I did a natural home birth, which I'm super proud of, but I don't think that my natural home birth would have happened if not my experience with the medical system. I have a deep distrust of the system. I understand that Western medicine can play a role in a time and place like if I have a broken bone or you know if I'm like actually sick but I don't believe that birth needs to be medicalized because of my experience with the system. So starting from the very beginning when I was 14 years old My mom gave me the dreaded conversation asking me if I was sexually active. I was in a long relationship for that age, I suppose. We were dating for a couple of years, so it was a valid question. What wasn't valid was that led to me going to the doctor's office and them prescribing me birth control as a means of contraceptive. Instead of actually educating me on how my cycle works, um, like that you can only... Get pregnant or conceive a child within like what is it three days of your month so that was crazy <laughs> um but yeah so I went to the doctors and she prescribed me birth control and then I was on it for about between eight and ten years I've lost track of all the years <laughs> I decided that it was enough like I was done with having a synthetic period I started to learn more about my cycle and I just decided that it wasn't for me anymore. And when I decided to stop taking it, I broke out in severe cystic acne, like to the point where it was painful to sleep on my face. I had actual mountains on my face. And just for context, at the time, I was working as a professional model. And in that industry, you know, beauty standards are kind of crazy, Um, and not only was I insecure, so it was difficult for me to show my face, but it was just not acceptable for me to show up to work with my face looking like that. And so obviously being a young woman looking for a solution desperately, I went to the doctors and I said, this is what's happening and I don't know what to do about it. And my doctor basically said, you know, try this oral medication try this topical cream let's put you on a different birth control like and then she went into the difference between progesterone and estrogen and this that and the other and nothing was working nothing was working in fact my my acne got worse in fact my my skin actually got worse so that was a red flag and I was just at my wits end and I saw her again it was actually my last my second last appointment with her. And I said, I'm desperate. Like I need a real solution here. Like what, what do we do? Like, I don't understand. We've tried everything. We've tried all the, the medicines and none of the medicines are working for me. And she said, okay, well, I'm going to send you a, to a dermatologist. Cause you know, I tried the scrubs, I tried the creams I the lotions and the potions and the pills and everything that she tried wasn't working. So she sent me to the dermatologist and the dermatologist right off the hop, like not asking me about even, you know, like my family's history, not asking me any of my medical history, not asking me anything about nutrition, not asking me anything about my cycle, not ask literally there were no questions asked. There was nothing. He looked, he he looked at me one time and said, we need to put you on Accutane. Accutane's going to fix this. And I had heard of Accutane, like it was kind of like a normal thing to hear about at that time, I guess, which is so crazy to think about in itself, because it's literally a toxin. And at that same appointment, I literally signed my life away. I had to sign a document that said that if I commit suicide or experience severe depression, that they're not liable, they're not responsible for it. Um, And I also had to sign a document that said that I'm going to continue to take birth control throughout the duration of me being on Accutane, which the cycle that they wanted me to be on was six months. So I'm like, okay, desperate young 20-year-old, like I obviously need this medication because my doctor said so. So I go in completely blind and sign these documents, sign my life away. Oh, and the reason that they they said you need to be on birth control while you're taking this medication is if you get pregnant, your baby will be born with severe birth defects. I'm like, oh, that sounds good. Like, don't want that. So I signed my life away. And then I left for Ireland. I was going away for a little weekend getaway. And I remember being on this trip and just being so uncomfortable, just literally in my skin not because of acne but because my skin had shriveled up and dried up so much to the point where like the slightest bend in my knuckle the slightest opening of the crease of like corners of my mouth you know to wipe to go to the bathroom like I would start bleeding I would literally draw blood and that was painful and scary I'm in another country. I don't know what's happening to my body. They told me I would dry up, but I didn't think it was going to be to the point of bleeding. And so I decided, like, I'm not taking this anymore. I'm so uncomfortable. Like, it hurts to sit. It hurts to stand. It hurts to walk. It hurts to go to the bathroom. Like, everything hurts at this point. Like, the acne is more worth it for me than than what I'm experiencing right now. So my body completely shriveled up. It was more uncomfortable than giving birth naturally at home and my whole body was just dry so I said I'm tapped I'm done I'm not taking this anymore I'd rather have acne than be this uncomfortable like literally bleeding I just I still can't believe that it even got to that point where I can take like I placed so much trust in my doctor and in these professionals that just completely took advantage of me they wanted to make a check off of me which is a whole other story but anyway so I decided then and there like I'm done I'm not taking this anymore and I came home and I contacted my doctor and I said I'm done I'm not taking it anymore I'm done with the birth control I'm done with it all like I'm standing by my intuition here I'm like I'm done taking it and she said, well, I need to send you back to the dermatologist. Like, they need to consult with you, blah, blah, blah. So I go back to the dermatologist, and the dermatologist is like, okay, well, we need to monitor your blood. And I don't remember what it was that he needed to monitor. There were a bunch of different levels, but I remember specifically one was the liver. And he was like, well, you know, like, we need to monitor your your liver just to make sure that everything's working properly. And I'm like, why wouldn't it be working properly? Like, I just thought that was bizarre. And he's like, well, you know, this medication. I'm like, okay, but why wasn't any of this said to me when I started taking it? That was a whole ordeal. Went back to my doctor's office. Oh, and by the way, they monitored my blood for six months, which is the duration that they wanted me to be taking this medication in the first place. So you're telling me me taking this medication for like six or seven days warrants my blood being monitored for six months? Like that sounds really serious. Little did I know it was actual toxins that I was consuming. So I go back to my doctor and I said, I'm done. Like, I'm tapped. There's got to be something. Like, this isn't just happening to me for no reason. Like, this is a symptom of something. Like, why aren't any of the medicines helping? Because at that point in my life, I genuinely believed and trusted that the medications they were prescribing were to heal you. And I think most people live their life that way, believing and trusting that these prescriptions are actually healing them. But there's a reason that you take them for so long most of the time. It's because it's suppressing symptoms. And that's exactly what these medications were doing for me. They were suppressing symptoms. They weren't getting to the root cause of the issue. And then my doctor says, well, what we can do is we can, um, have you ever considered a food journal? And I said, a food journal? I thought people who like diet just keep a food journal. Like, are you counting macros or calories or whatever? And she said, well, you know, you might have a sensitivity to a food that you're eating. And maybe that's why your skin is flaring up. And I'm like an allergy like why wouldn't we start there like if there's if this could just be an allergy like the allergy's not going to go away with these medications like why wouldn't we start she goes well you know christina and then she goes on to tell me about the seminar that she took in nutrition and how she basically her understanding of nutrition was the entirety of one day workshop like she literally sat in a one day lecture to know anything about i'm like so okay How like my my I was flabbergasted. How are you a doctor? (laughs) Like how am I placing the like the care of my body in you if you don't even actually know about the functioning of the body? Just mind absolutely blown. And then that was when my whole world was completely shattered. And I'm like, yeah, I don't trust you. Like I'm done. And that was actually the last time that I went to my doctor's. And she said, well, you know, Christina, I have my tool belt and um, or my toolbox or whatever whatever her reference was and you know I have to I have a protocol I have a certain order in which I need to address things and I just was like okay but this should be like the first this should be the first line of course of action (laughs) like if it's so much as an allergy which I mean it wasn't an allergy but it was my liver was congested and my liver was congested and they continued to prescribe me medications that continued to congest my liver. What would have happened had I not decided enough is enough? God forbid, the worst, right? But I just couldn't believe that. So I found out that my liver was congested because I hired a holistic nutritionist. I literally put all my money because I wasn't booking jobs. I wasn't booking gigs. I was really financially not in a good place. I was stressed out on top of it all. So my skin's breaking out even more. And so I go to this nutritionist who I actually went to elementary school and high school with. She's a little bit older, but like familiar face. So I felt comfortable. And she literally, I had to answer probably 400 questions about my lifestyle and my sleep and my symptoms down to like little things like irritability. Down to little things like, okay, if somebody approaches you like this, how do you respond? Like, what is your sleep like? Do you have road rage? And I'm like, I feel like I'm at the doctor's, and she's asking me, do I wear a seatbelt? I'm like, this is so crazy. Like, why are we asking me these questions? But she was like, trust me, trust the process. All right, well, I'm done trust- trusting the process at this point. But like, sure, Jesus, take the wheel. Like, let's go. What? How, what's next? Anyway, she was like. I had to take a food I did a food journal and we did learn that I had some sensitivities but that's not what was causing the the, out, the acne. So then we did a liver cleanse pretty much my acne went to bed overnight. Like my, my acne cleared itself more or less like after doing that liver cleanse. I still had some hormonal breakouts but you're telling me all I had to do was a liver cleanse? Like are you freaking kidding me? So that was that. Did the liver cleanse and then that was the start of my whole wellness journey. Like now I host women's retreats and like I'm empowering women and I just gave birth to my baby in my living room. Can you believe that? And this is my first baby and apparently that's pretty nuts that <laughs> that I did that. Um but yeah, I just put total trust in my body and in God. At what point did they tell
0: you, oh, you might not be able to have children? Was that like an Accutane medication thing or what was that?
1: Yeah. So not like when I went to that appointment with my doctor after the dermatologist was like, we need to monitor your liver. And I had brought to my doctor's attention like, oh, yeah, I had to do this like X, Y, and Z because I guess they don't actually really communicate with each other. She was looking at the culmination. Also, when I was in high school, I had shingles or so they said I had shingles. Who knows if that was just, you know, like a medication they were they were putting me on to suppress symptoms of something else. I don't actually know because like at this point, I really just don't trust a word that comes out of their mouth. They want to prescribe you things because that's what makes them money. You visiting is like, you know, cool. You came for a visit like we might get something from the government because I do live in Canada and we we pay taxes for you know our health care so yeah she was just like you know Christina there's a really good chance that you're not going to be able to have children and and I never went too in depth like we never did any real testing to get an understanding of if that was the truth or not but I also never had any scares so I believed her I'm like okay well that's terrifying like obviously there's that's not right like I'm a woman I should be able to have a baby and I know that there are complications and there's so many different reasons that women can't have a baby but at that point in my head I'm like all right like that's a weird thing to say so how do we fix me at this point yeah and then we moved forward from that and by moving forward I meant like I never saw her again (laughs) so yeah that was that situation never had a scare literally I was never and I was sexually active like I I was quite promiscuous especially in my teen years because I mean we haven't touched on this but I don't really have a relationship with my dad and the relationship with my dad has always been tumultuous because the wife that he's with at the time he's now on his third marriage and And there was always, like, a jealousy aspect there for some reason. Like, she didn't like me having a relationship with my dad. And there was never any, like, weird things happening between my dad and I. It was, like, you know, from a young age, I thought I was daddy's girl. And then I learned very quickly that daddy was using me as a weapon against mom. And that led to a slew of, like, you know, insecurities and searching for validation externally through other men who were not my father because I wanted that connection. I wanted to feel loved by a man. I wanted, you know, affection and attention. And at that point, I didn't know what attentions were right or what attentions were wrong. Like, I mean, I never saw a healthy modeled relationship in my life. Every, like all my grandparents were divorced. My parents were divorced. They were both like, you know, dating or married to other people. And, I never saw a healthy relationship. In fact, the only relationship that I can think of that stayed together until the day that they died is my aunt and my uncle. And my aunt actually abused me as a child, ironically enough. So it was just like very ironic. Like I didn't know who to trust. I didn't know how to trust people, especially men. Um, And so I just put, yeah, I just like put myself out there in a lot of very dangerous situations. I want to touch on why women might
0: go to a man for validation and give them their body for validation because this happens a lot where a man is using, say in teenagehood or early 20s, a man typically uses a woman's body for his own pleasure, right? And the woman, the teenage girl, takes that as validation. He wants me. Even if he's just using my body for his selfish pleasure, he wants me to do it with him. And that is validation, especially with women with daddy issues,
1: with abandonment issues. Yep. I thought that I was special. If a boy was smooth talking to me, like, I believed him. I you know, he could promise me the stars and the moon and I'm there. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm your everything. Like you want me. Like I would believe him. I would, and that's like the most heartbreaking part with reflecting on my journey. And obviously like I had to experience it. Like that's part of my story. And that's a big part of my story, actually. You know, like I, did put myself in some compromising situations. Like I was hospitalized a couple times because I trusted these boys, and we would go out drinking, and I would get drugged, and that happened more than once. There's one instance, and I don't remember it. I remember waking up in the hospital. I remember a couple days later finding out from a childhood friend that he found me in the underground parking lot in a friggin' uh, shopping cart. And that that's who called the ambulance to get me to the hospital. And I was blackout drunk and I was just left there. And like very, very traumatic things that should not happen to anybody under any circumstances. But I trusted these boys and people can say, yeah, like, oh, daddy issues, this, that and the other. It's a real thing. Like, I don't care what anybody says. You have to do some deep, deep healing and inner work to come to terms with that as part of your journey and the two and two go together I don't care what anybody says and I'm a true testament to that and I've had to do a lot of a lot a lot a lot of digging and inner work to understand like where that came from for me
0: yeah another point I want to point out that I heard from my therapist at one point is that in extramarital affairs The woman that is the other woman usually has these deep, deep daddy issues because what makes you more special than if a man leaves his wife for you? You are the most special thing on the planet. If a man leaves his wife for you, you are special. That is the ultimate validation. And so these women that are the other woman in affairs – Typically, it goes back to daddy issues that that masculine validation that need to be
1: loved and and validated so deeply totally a hundred percent and like something that I want to add to that is because my dad weaponized me, my dad has been wealthy. And my mom was not like my mom. If you're a Canadian, hey, what's up? (laughs) My mom was working at Tim Hortons. She was a struggling single mom, like put herself through school on government assistance. And my dad took full advantage of that, full well knowing that like my mom didn't have financial ways of anything like she couldn't offer us anything financially she couldn't buy us like the little toys that we wanted or like the jewelry and my dad could so he took advantage of that and fully weaponized me and I thought that that was daddy's way of showing me that he loved me because daddy would give me his credit card because daddy would take me shopping because daddy would buy me xyz you know and so I actually ended up looking for that in my partners as I grew like even as a teenager if a guy bought me something I'm like oh he loves me like he could buy me the smallest most insignificant thing and I'm like that's love you know because that's what my dad showed me that's what I saw from my dad that's literally the the way that my dad like and I'm air quoting showed love to me that's how I interpreted that because otherwise like I didn't have an emotional connection with my dad you know I don't have memories of like snuggling with my dad on the couch or like you know, going out for little father-daughter dates with my dad, and I also didn't get that with my mom because my dad saw that my, or sorry, my mom saw that my dad was buying me all of these gifts, all of these things, and she saw that, like, my brother wasn't necessarily getting those things, so my mom was like, well, I need to compensate for this love that my son's not getting me because she also interpreted that as love, which is also so sad, we go to visit my mom and my mom is giving my brother all this attention, all this love. And like, I felt like I was going without love in turn. Like I wasn't getting emotional connection. I was always considered too much. I was always considered dramatic. My feelings were never validated. And so with that, I just felt very alone. Like I felt very isolated from my parents and all of that. So like, again, I wasn't getting emotional validation in my relationships as a young woman, as a girl that's dating. I'm getting these gifts and I interpret that as love. It's just so crazy. Like it's so sad to think about and I'm f- I'm finally at a point where like that's not my reality anymore and I feel very blessed, but yeah, it's crazy. But when did you start looking at those family patterns and
0: seeing how they manifested in you and then healing it for for when
1: you're a mother? So I started dating this guy. Hello. I started dating this guy. We were in a long distance relationship and we (laughs) dated for about a year. Hello, my sweet. So I started dating this guy. We were long distance for a year. And he had the same traits of all the guys that I dated. And it wasn't like I was looking for them to have money. It was just that's what I was attracting. He spoiled. He spoiled me. This guy, this long distance relationship, a guy in California, he really spoiled me. And then when I decided it was the end of the relationship and I was breaking up with him, he (laughs) is, this is going to sound made up. So I'm just warning everybody. This 100% happened and I have receipts to back it up. He had the audacity to try and bribe me to stay with him. So he thought that I had such little... Uh. self worth that i would take financial compensation if he messed up again he had the audacity to try and say pick a number if i mess up again i'll get gi- that's what i'll give you you just Messed up royally. Like, you have continued to do the same things over and over again that I have communicated with you time and time again are not working for me. And for you to have the nerve to try and say, Here, you're entitled to financial compensation if I do this again, get bent, buddy, kick rocks. Like, it's like this is done. You just nailed the coffin, put the final nail in the coffin. Like, I am tapped the F out. And in that moment, I realized that he thought that he could do that. He thought that I would accept the money. And in that moment, that's when I realized, okay, there is something. Something's not right here. Something's not adding up. And like, where is this coming from? Why did he think that that's okay? Because I fully believe that you teach people how to treat you. And why did he think that that's okay? And then that's when I started doing some deep diving. I actually did like a hypnotherapy session. And that showed me a lot about myself that that showed me a lot of truth. In hypnotherapy is very interesting, because it doesn't, you don't have somebody psychoanalyzing you, you have somebody basically bringing to the surface what's already there. And so, you know, asking rhetorical questions that you already know the answer to in your subconscious mind. And so that was really eye opening for me. And I had already been on my spiritual wellness journey like it had already began the second that I fired my doctor I went deep diving I'm like okay I'm healing my mind body and spirit and there's nobody who's gonna stop me also if you hear a sucking sound my baby's pre-teething and he's sucking on my arm right now. <laughs> <laughs> that was the start of me having some really deep hard truths coming to the surface of like oh, okay, that makes sense. That's why that's like that. Like, that's why I respond this way. That's why I have these expectations. Okay, but what are my love languages? Asking, like, who am I? Like, truly asking and, like, want looking for an answer. Who am I? What do I actually want in a partner? What do I actually want in a relationship? What really validates me? And the thing, the answer that came to mind was... I want to feel loved. Like I love physical touch. I I did like the five love languages quiz and receiving gifts was actually at the very bottom of the list and I'm like, "Oh, so this is why I don't feel validated in my relationships because they're just giving me gifts, but I interpreted that as love, but then I've always felt like there's something missing." And that's what it was. Okay, that's the missing piece. So quality time I love quality time I love physical touch like I love to be showed off you know I love to be with my man I love for him to have his arm around me for him to give me a kiss for you know him to hold my hand like simple things like that I just love that and I was in a long distance relationship where he's literally just buying me things online and sending them to my house and I would see him like like for a weekend end of the month and I'm like this is not it you know so that was yeah that was the pivotal moment in my life where I looked at my patterns and just said, enough. Do you want to share any other pivotal healing
0: moments that maybe segue into your desire to be a mom?
1: Yeah, so me becoming a mom was actually a pleasant surprise. It wasn't something that we planned for. um, And ironically enough, I was in... I met the love of my life in October of 2022, and November 2022, I was leaving on a three-month trip to Costa Rica by myself. Like I had no interest in connecting with anybody. I was at a point in my life where I felt so valid in me and my journey that I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to do this by myself. Screw it. Like I'm so done. I'm so tapped. And I also vowed to myself, like, I'm going to meet somebody organically. I'm not going on the apps. I'm not, I think my baby's hickeying my arm. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going out of my way to meet guys. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go on the dating apps. Like I'm done. I'm going to meet somebody naturally. And in my, in my head, I was like, well, maybe I'm going to meet somebody in Costa Rica. And I was going to Costa Rica to teach in a women's retreat. I teach yoga as well as host my own retreats. And I, so I get there. Anyway, I met this amazing guy, October 2022. And wouldn't you know, I'm leaving in a month for three months by myself on this tour. He was just amazing. We stayed in contact, and then he ditched his family to come spend Christmas and New Year's with me in Costa Rica. We had only known each other for like a month and a half at that point, like we didn 't really know each other truly, but I knew from the moment that I met him I was like that 's going to be my husband. like I know like I know, I just could feel it in my bones. It was like an all over sensation that like, yeah, this is my person." and so that's, I just had this knowing, and then sure enough, yeah, he comes to visit me in Costa Rica, we spent 10 days together, and if you've been to Costa Rica, you know it's a vortex, and like, any traumas or triggers that you have, you best believe they're coming to the surface, because that place truly brings everything up, and that's exactly what happened, we, like, we had the worst New Year's of our life, like, the New Year started off so great, and then it went, it spiraled so quickly downhill. Um, And we had to, we we had some things that we needed to iron out and some boundaries that we needed to set. And we both thought that like this, this might be the end of like, you know, I thought you were going to be my husband. I thought like, you're going to be the greatest love of my life. And now here we are in Costa Rica, you just dipped on your family to come celebrate with me. And We're like, oh, okay, like, I guess this isn't it. Like, I guess we're not as aligned as we thought. And then he left and I was in Costa Rica again, still by myself again. And I took some time to sit with sacred ceremony. I sat with like mushrooms with a shaman and I had like a really beautiful experience I was on the phone with the shaman and I saw a hummingbird like and when I tell you I was staying in a hut like I was literally staying in like a cabin with one screen window like there wasn't even glass on the window I was in the middle of nowhere in the jungle like seriously slumming it and slumming it somewhere beautiful but like I I was like um, I was balling on a budget okay okay. And so anyways, I have this little screen window and a hummingbird, I swear to you, a hummingbird hovers right in the center of it when I'm on the phone with the shaman setting my intention for the ceremony. And my intention for the ceremony was to open my heart to Jordan and be vulnerable and allow him in. And in that moment, I, I said to the shaman, like, oh my gosh, there's a hummingbird. Like, I got, got so excited. I'm like, I've never seen a hummingbird in real life before. Hummingbirds are everywhere. How First of all, how have I never seen a hummingbird before? But second of all, I just thought it was crazy. I was in the, the smallest hut with the smallest screen window. And just like, conveniently enough, a hummingbird hovers right in the center of that screen. And the shaman said, there's some sacred medicine in and the hummingbirds like hummingbirds have some very deep sacred meaning. And so we didn't get too much into that and then we're sitting in the ceremony. You can see things when you're on mushrooms but you don't hear things. You know like you can hallucinate and you can see some crazy things but you're not hearing things. I saw a hummingbird. Don't know if it was real, don't know if it was I was just seeing it. And in that moment I asked God. I asked God. Am I meant to be a mother? Just intuitively, because I was thinking back to when I first saw the hummingbird and I was like, I was talking about Jordan and opening myself up to him. And then I'm seeing the hummingbird again and Jordan crosses my mind and I said to God, am I to be a mother? I have goosebumps right now just telling you about this. Every bird, like, it went from being completely silent in the jungle to every bird having a reaction to my question. It was the loudest the jungle had been, and it was the, like, I was like, oh my god, I'm talking to god. Like, I just thought it was the craziest, most obscene thing on the planet, because, you know, I have talking to God before spoken to God before never gotten a direct response and like literally every bird in the jungle is making noise and I'm like all right I'm gonna take that as a full fuck yes that like yeah you're meant to be a mother and up until that point again like I said I had never had a scare I was led to believe that like yeah you're probably not gonna have babies like yeah you're probably infertile like you know this is probably where you're at and so I'm like all right and buckle up, I started bawling my eyes out because I'm like, oh, my God, God just spoke to me literally like I'm, I'm meant to be a mother. And I'm just like, you know, and I'm shaking right now and, I'm, and I have goosebumps all over my body because that was such a powerful moment for me. And then I came home. I came home February 2nd and my baby was conceived within two weeks of me arriving I'm just like, what the actual, what is happening? What is my life right now? I just thought that that was like the craziest thing ever. I still think it's the craziest thing ever. And like, we weren't careful because I didn't think that I could get pregnant. (laughs) Like, Like I really just, you know, my cycle was regular and then, but my cycle has always changed with the seasons. So I... In you know, in the summer, my and I feel like a lot of women are like this, in the summer, my period would sync up with the new moon. And then in the winter, my, my period would sync up with the full moon. So because I went from Costa Rica to Canada, I thought like, you know, okay, maybe there's just something weird happening with my period, you know, because maybe it's just changing. And, you know, I experienced the symptoms like the breast tenderness, and I was a little bit agitated. And I'm like, okay, hmm. My boobs have been hurting for literally like a week and a half now. Usually it's only like two days leading up to my period. Is my period coming? Period didn't come. <laughs> Surprise! So Jordan and I go, we get a test. And and Jordan is literally the most amazing human on the whole entire planet. He is the most giving, loving, caring. Like Anybody who knows him has nothing but amazing things to say about him because he truly is the greatest human. And so he's excited he's always wanted to be a dad so he's fired up he's pumped I'm terrified I am not ready to like you know give up my independence like I know that you're my human but like okay I was told that this wasn't gonna happen like I was convinced so like you know when you're not prepared for something I was totally caught off guard I'm like I'm like you know I don't believe in abortion like I would never do that for myself I understand circumstances for some other women like not as a means of birth control but like, I knew that wasn't going to be an option for me. It's not something that I, I would ever consider. So I'm like, if I'm pregnant, like, all right, it's time to buckle up. Like, we're having a baby, you know? And sure enough, yep, the test was positive. I'm like, okay, I got to do another one. So I did another one. Oh, yep, the test is positive. And it, sa- it says on the box, I think, like, wait a minute and a half or five minutes or something like that. It was like, bitch, you're positive within 15 seconds. I'm like, oh, I'm very pregnant. Like there is no mistaking this. (laughs) So I went into like, I don't know how spiritual you are, but like, I went into like the dark night, like shadow night, like deep, deep, dark, dark morning period. Like I heavily grieved my maidenhood, like to a point where Jordan was genuinely concerned about me because I went into a deep mourning and I, and I had to grieve like the old life because I was a wild child. I did like, you know, like I said, I went to Ireland for a weekend because I was on reading week. Like I went to Costa Rica for three months by myself. I've road tripped across the US, across Canada by myself. I've traveled to Europe by myself. Like I've done all these things by myself and that's like what I've always love to do and I never thought that it would be any different because I never thought that I was gonna have a baby so I came to terms with that and then yeah I had to educate myself and I had to connect deeply inward and I had to connect with the soul that I was growing inside my body because I think that's so important to like You know, connect. Like, who are you? Who are you going to be? Like, how am I going to influence your life? How can I be the best version of myself so that you can grow up in a household that you can be proud of? I want you to have everything in your childhood that I didn't have. I want to give you the most powerful. I want you to look at your mom and dad and be proud and be like, I want that for myself. I want you to reflect on your memories as a child and be like, I had the best childhood and have very specific, vivid memories. Like a lot of my childhood is blacked out in my mind. I just don't remember. And to be honest, I don't really think that I need to at this point because I have done so much work where I'm like finally happy and finally confident. And I love my partner. He's amazing. And he sees me and he gets me and he loves me and he loves me how I need him to love me. And we have a baby now who was birthed into this world in the most beautiful, magnificent way, um, just like surrounded by love, nestled in the, our little living room. And, you know, his dad was so present and it was just, yeah, it was just beautiful. Your partner was so present
0: in the home birth, but you mentioned to me that he had a really hard time wrapping his head around a home birth when you're pregnant. So how did you navigate Mm.
1: that between you two? There are a couple things. So basically I am very willful and sometimes I reference it as the Christina show because I can be very stubborn or like determined is a better way to put it. I can be very determined. And because I have put so much trust in my own body on this healing journey, I knew that I could do it from the beginning like i was scared to have a i was more scared to just like have a baby than i was like actually giving birth to the baby and i said that from the beginning like i'm not afraid i trust my body i trust my baby i trust god and like i i just know that i can do this like i just trusted myself so much and i was constantly reading and constantly educating myself and i would share I would deliberately share the things that I was learning that I thought he would benefit from. I was ordering books and, you know, you should read this book. And he would read the books. Like last year when I was just entering my second trimester, we went on like a baby moon to Spain and Portugal. And he brought the In May's Guide to Childbirth book with him. And that's what he read when we were on the train. And that's what he read when we were on the plane. And that really helped him to understand physiological birth and then just talking with me but he was so afraid not because it wasn't his own fear it was other people's fear so you know he would there was always the background noise and I experienced this too but I just didn't care (laughs) because I'm like no you don't know me you don't know my willpower you don't know my baby you don't know my relationship to God you don't like all the stories that you hear are horror stories but they're horror stories like 90 I would say 95% of those births that ended up in an emergency C-section or claimed to be an emergency weren't actually emergencies they were just the system being impatient. Jordan has worked works with two guys who both lost both lost their wives in childbirth and that's very uncommon to know two people who have experienced that. It's very uncommon. And so that was his in his head he's like you're going to die when you're giving birth to this baby because that was what he knew. And, you know, the other women were supposedly very similar to me in their mindset of, like, wellness and um, health and this, that, and the other. And so in his head, he's putting two and two together, and he's, like, convinced himself because these men are sharing their own trauma with him that that's going to be his experience too. So... After me doing my best to educate him, after him reading the books, we signed up for a hypnobirthing course. And it was really funny because he probably could have taught the hypnobirthing course at that point. There were three other couples there. And one of the wives was a nurse. One of the soon to be mamas was a nurse. And Jordan actually knew more about the physiology of birth than she did. He actually knew more about a woman's body than she did. And it's her job to know about the human body. She's a nurse. Like, that just goes to tell you so much about the medical system. And so he took a lot away from the hypnobirthing course in terms of how he can best support me. Like, this is what you can expect This is, and I want to add, like, I fired my midwives. So, like, I was originally going to go with midwives. And in Canada, it's very different than it is in the U.S. Um, And I recently came to learn this. Like, in Canada, you have one level of midwives. And they are trained by the healthcare system in Canada. So, my midwives were trying to push so many things onto me. And I was just like, oh, hell no. Like, uh, this seems familiar to me. Like, it's not happening. I'm not taking that. You're not doing this to me. I don't want a blood transfusion because I don't trust where the blood's coming from. All of these things really advocating for myself. And that was very empowering because I feel like a lot of women would just cave to appease these people who aren't living in your body. Like, they aren't in your body And I didn't want to have any regrets and I just want to have the healthiest body for my baby and I, and for myself and for my family. And I just want to have the healthiest baby too. So like you have to be strong enough to advocate for yourself. I always say like, if you can't advocate for yourself, how are you going to advocate for the well being of your child? You can't speak up for your own body, your own autonomy, but you're going to bring a life into this world. How? I don't get it. Yeah. I fired my midwives and I said to Jordan, like, we... You know, like, I've never done this before. So I can read as much as I want about this. I can watch as many videos about this. But the truth of the matter is, I don't actually know what it's like (laughs) until I'm in it. Like, truly, you don't. And you really don't. Because you hear all these stories, and then you paint a picture in your mind of what it's going to be like. But if you paint a really beautiful picture in your mind, chances are that's the picture you're going to get. If you paint, like, a really scary Picture in your mind, and you're like, yeah, this is what my birth is going to be like. That's probably what you're going to get. I truly believe that you manifest in a lot of ways. Of course, again, there's emergencies, things happen, there are complications, there are things beyond your control. But I think a lot of the time, like you can control your reality in a lot of ways. Mindset is so powerful. And so we hired a traditional birthing attendant. She does all of the like births for the Mennonites, um, in and in around our area. And she's amazing. We met with her pretty regularly. I think we met with her like six times before the baby was born. So July to July to November, that's like when we were meeting with her and she was great. And she pretty much just ended up being our photographer (laughs) at the birth. Like, you know, Jesus, take the wheel. Like I trust you completely. And Jordan was amazing. Just putting pressure on my back and But I really just got, I had my eyes closed for 14 hours. So like I was in labor for 14 hours and actively pushing for one and a half of those hours. And Jordan was awake and putting pressure on my low back with every contraction. Like he was present. He was there. He was in it. And he was terrified. Like when I told him, you're going to catch the baby. I want your hands to be the first hands that touch the baby. He was like, absolutely not. I'm not playing football with the baby. Like it's not happening. And, um, and then so like leading up to the birth, he, he was getting super excited. He actually was getting super excited. Cause he's like, you know, men, like most men, they love to provide, they love to support and they, they love to some degree, like being in a controlling envi- controlled environment. And Jordan is used to being a boss. Like he's the boss. So now he's put in this position where like, He's not in control. I'm in control and he just needs to be an observer and he just needs to hold space for me. And he showed up and did it in the most beautiful way. And the birthing attendant actually said to me, Christina, that was, she's like, I have been attending births for 15 years now because she was um, a midwife and then she left the system because she realized how crazy it was and how unaligned it was with her values. And she kept getting in trouble. And so that's when she became a traditional birthing attendant. And she said to me, Christina, in all my years, that was the most calm birth I've ever witnessed in my life. 15 years of witnessing births and mine was the calmest and it was my first baby. What can you say about that? How
0: do you you think that's who you are? Do you think it's your yoga practice? I kind of want you to just take us through that day of like how labor started, your mindset.
1: Every part of your journey plays a role in who you are like in the present, right? I fully believe that. Like it contributes to every aspect of this new version of yourself that you're constantly evolving into every new day. And I have done a lot of work. I have done a lot of work to build my confidence, to trust my body, to trust myself, to trust God, um, and to make myself my healthiest self. Um, I think they go hand in hand together, like, you know, mind, body and spirit, they all need to be in alignment for you to truly experience life to the fullest, to feel confident, to feel healthy, to feel good, uh, to feel empowered. And I went into the birth with the intention of, I want to feel powerful. Like, I want to feel empowered. Like, I, I know that I can do this. And I actually I wrote down, I have, I have a booklet, I wrote down for Jordan, okay, these are the phrases that I don't want you to say because they'll be triggering for me. Don't tell me to relax. But you can tell me to breathe with you. You can tell me, like, you're doing great. Like, the baby's almost here. Like, you are so powerful. You're inspiring to me. I gave him prompts so that he knew exactly what he could say to me to make me feel, to bring me back. To bring me back to the present, um, because there were a couple moments, like I was laboring again for 14 hours and I'm like, I need a break. You know, most women get a little bit of a break in between. I didn't get that. I didn't get a break. <laughs> I was literally, I was contracting for 14 hours and pushing for one and a half of those hours. And I was like, okay, can mama put this on hold? Because like, I'm just about, you know, like I'm I'm having a hard time. Like the contractions were by far more uncomfortable for me. And like, I don't say painful because I think there's a lot of power in our verbiage. Um, and it wasn't real pain. Like tattoo removal was more painful for me than birth than the contractions. Um, but you know, he would say things like trust your body. And, and I did trust my body, but hearing him say that, or, you know, if, if my shoulders are getting tense, soften your shoulders you know so my practice my practice of teaching yoga my practice of guiding meditation my practice of holding the space for other women came in handy for my man to use that those lessons those practices on me and i was able to teach him how to provide for me so that i could bring this baby into the world in the most beautiful way so i think it's like a culmination of my personal practices my teachings um my trust in my body and also like the support, the genuine loving support. Like I felt in a lot of ways, I didn't want him to touch me, but then when he would touch me or even if he wasn't touching me, I could still feel his loving embrace. Like just his presence was so powerful. And I I had told the traditional birthing attendant beforehand, like, I just want you to take photos and videos. Like if I need you, like, I'll let you know, but like, just take photos and videos. I want to remember this because I had my my eyes closed for the entire time. And the photos of Jordan, like the way he was looking at me in such awe and like you can see the love on his face. You can see the devotion on his face. Like it's enough to make you cry because you're like, wow, that is these photos are the definition of love. Like these photos are the epitome of love. Like you can see how much he loves me and how supportive he is for me in those photos, in those moments. And it's just so beautiful. But I really just felt held. I felt held by God. I felt held by my practice. I felt held by my man. I trusted my baby. I trusted my baby to signal to my body and for my body to signal to my baby and for just everything to work out. And it did. And actually my birthing attendant said, to me at the end, she was like, you know, there was a moment where like, I didn't see his head turning. She was like, I thought he was stuck. And she's like, I, I was questioning whether I should say something or not. And she was like, your next push. And he was out. And it was like, physiological birth doesn't have to be cookie cutter. It doesn't have to be exactly what people say it's supposed to be. And my birth was not like that. Like, you know, after my, um, my it took my placenta four hours to release. And they say that it's supposed to be out within 20 minutes. And, you know, they're offering you so many drugs in the hospital to get that placenta out, like as if something so natural and pure is going to like, you know, create toxins in my body or something or poison me. And no, I was fine. It took four hours, but it happened and it happened on its own terms, you know? So yeah, my birth was, (laughs) Jordan was actually at work when I went into labor and I said to him, like, I'm cramping, and here I am on Dr. Google, and I'm like, I'm cramping, like, am I in labor? Is this early labor? Like, am I in active labor? Like, I don't know, because I never experienced it before, right? And so when my, my contractions, I was breathing through them, they started to get more intense, so the cramps weren't just cramps anymore. They were real, like, full-on contractions. So I said, you need to get home. And thankfully at the time, he was just working 10 minutes up the road. So he came home and he just held the space for me. And he held the space for me for 14 hours. Like I went into active labor. I think it was like, I think he came home at one o'clock and like the baby was born at one twenty-eight. yeah, one twenty-eight a.m. And then we were up until 5.30 in the morning waiting for the placenta to come out <laughs> And he would, he, you know, it's different when you're in labor as a mother, as a woman, because your body is pr- providing you with all of the necessary hormones to give birth. So serotonin, oxytocin, like all of these things are present at the most divine times. Like our bodies are absolutely incredible and so wise. And, and he didn't have that. Men don't have that when they're, you know, when they're women's in giving birth to a baby. So the fact that he stayed awake, stayed present, like, didn't steer away in any way. Like, it was just so beautiful.
0: What does he now say about home birth? Because he was terrified.
1: And now he has a lived experience. Mm -hmm. So there was actually another account. Maybe it was actually your account. I don't remember. Um, there was a woman on Instagram looking for testimonials from men who have um, witnessed natural birth at home. Um, and Jordan wrote out a testimonial for it. And he says that it was the most beautiful experience that he has ever witnessed in his life. He said that it was the most amazing thing that he has ever witnessed that he has ever experienced. He said 11 out of 10 would do it again. Like he was just completely enthralled in the experience and he said that like he trusted in me and he trusted in my trust for myself and I don't think he realizes how much of like a vital role he played in me being able to really trust because he did create such a safe loving space. I told him exactly what I wanted and he made it happen you know like that's so powerful to be in such a vulnerable position and for you know he blew up the pool he was bringing buckets of water from the kitchen to the pool so and he like you know was monitoring the heat to make sure it wasn't too hot or too cold for me the water you know he was giving me these affirmations giving me this validation making sure that the tea lights were lit because it was a 14 hour labor so he's like relighting candles I've got my eyes closed for the whole 14 hours and he's still making sure that the ambiance is on point for me. And yeah, just, just, he was absolutely incredible. And he says it was the most beautiful thing that he has ever experienced. Would 100% do it again. Like, so empowering, so powerful. And yeah, he was like, like, he doesn't imagine that he could ever see a birth in a hospital happened like you know he hears these horror stories and he's like i could never imagine doing that in the hospital i could never imagine the bright lights in the hospital i could never imagine people priming and prodding at you i could never imagine the loudness the noise strangers like you know people doing cervical checks people monitoring the baby's heart rate like all of these things that we learn about i had none of it and because i had none of it i was undisturbed and we were able to have that experience because we were at home because we were away from that noise yeah
0: it's it's so beautiful that he dealt with his fear and in a masculine way like learning logic and knowledge which that can help
1: can i just add one bit to that not just like learning but also showing up okay so like i understand that this is how the birth works now how can i as the, mater- the paternal role. How can I as a man be in control of this situation? What control do I have over this situation? Okay, like she's giving birth to the baby. Okay, I can control the ambiance. I can control if she's, if I see tension in her body, I can bring her back. So it's like, You know, the polarity between masculine and feminine, he really sat in his masculine in so many different ways, not just the way of like educating himself, but like really just showing up really the way that he showed up was so beautiful, so powerful, like inspiring.
0: Thank you for adding that clarification. Yeah, because the masculine is safe when they're truly present and grounded. And that's what he brought to you. Mm hmm. What about yes? What about speaking on to kind of wrap up? What about speaking on anything about motherhood, breastfeeding, your initiation from maiden to mother because it's your first baby, he's 3 months old. Like you just went through
1: a crazy 3 months. Mhm. Honestly, it has been seamless. <laughs> and I feel so blessed and honored and I think that a big part of it being seamless was our birth experience you know like we set ourselves up to have a beautiful calm loving relationship and connection you know like he was born jordan caught him he went straight on the boob straight on the boob no issues with latch um totally just like serene and calm and he was welcomed into the most beautiful space like a home a loving embrace and Jordan was crying. Um, you know, it was it truly was so beautiful, and I knew, like I said, I was like, you know, I have my booklet. I still have it, and I'm like, these are my boundaries. This is what I want. This is what I don't want. And it was really important to me that I have at least two weeks to heal before we have visitors, and at least two weeks before I'm using the stairs. So our bedroom is upstairs. So. Jordan took off a month and he was like a stay at home cook for me. Jordan was cooking and cleaning. He was doing all the things that like he's used to me doing in a lot of ways. And that was really beautiful because he tended to to me like we moved last July, two and a half hours, almost three hours from all my friends and family. And his family is even further. His family's like four or five hours away. So it really was like me and him against the world. <laughs> you see the little hand. <laughs> it really was me and him against the world and he fully took care of me. I said, you know, okay, like if I'm experiencing postpartum depression, like it's going to look different for everybody. So this is these are what you can this is what you can look out for, you know. If I'm exper- if I'm showing some these signs, these symptoms. These are the resources that you have. You know, make me an appointment at the therapist. This is her phone number. This is her name. You know, send me for a yoga class. Do this, do that. Like he really had like a, a book of this is what I want. This is how you can support me. And I think that's so important. Like I think discussing your postpartum with your partner and your expectations and your boundaries is so much more important than planning your birth. That is my opinion, and I stand by that because I had the most healing postpartum because I laid it out, because we planned for it. And from what I hear, that's not the norm, really. Um, So yeah, I did five days in the bed, five days on the bed, five days around the bed. And then to support my pelvic floor health, I didn't use the stairs for two weeks. And that was really beautiful. That was really powerful because I could just focus on nurturing my relationship with my baby and also my partner you know like he was away he was at home he was supporting us and caring for us he was caring for me so that I could care for our baby and you know like right after the you know my placenta came out he showered me like he cleaned me he helped me like in so many beautiful ways that like I I can't even express my gratitude you know and um Yeah. So I just, I really like laid it out. This is the postpartum that I want. I want it to be nurturing. This is how you can support me. Um, This is what I'm willing to do. And this is what I'm not willing to do. I don't want visitors for the first two weeks. And you know, the end of November you're giving birth to a baby. Like Aspen was born on November 29th and like my birthday is December 17th. Christmas is coming, you know? So it's like, people want to see the baby. And in the beginning of our pregnant, my pregnancy, That was like a disagreement that Jordan and I had because I knew right off the hop, like two weeks. So I I put it in his brain for the duration of the pregnancy. And it wasn't until um, we met with the traditional birthing attendant that, that she validated that and was like, oh, okay. And, you know, we also had the tough conversations about circumcision. I knew that that's not something that I wanted to do to my baby. Like, I fully believe that that's a form of mutilation, you know, like. That skin serves a purpose like that is his. And the one thing that I do appreciate that my parents did is they didn't baptize me or anything like that because they wanted me to have a choice in what I believe in. And so I carried that over and I said, okay, like if he decides that he doesn't want that skin anymore, that's a decision he can make down the road and that he can be responsible for because God forbid anything go wrong. Like I would not be able to live with myself. I really would not be able to. So if he decides that he wants it gone, that's fine. And also, it's not covered anymore. Like back when I was a baby, that was covered by the government. They actually like promoted like doing that. And it's not anymore. You have to pay $400 to do it. And I was like, if he wants to pay the $400 when he's an adult and he can like consent to doing that, sure, it's not my body to do it to. And that was like a very heated topic for us because... Jordan played a lot of sports growing up and he was like, you know, he's going to get bullied. And I was like, listen, if it's not covered by the government anymore, like we're living in a different time. How many parents do you think are actually paying $400 to remove the foreskin of their baby's penis? Like, let's be honest. So the rate, we actually did some research and the rate is significantly less than what it was when we were growing up. And I said, "If, if that's your debate like if that's how you're going to argue this and say like you don't want him to get bullied he's not going to get bullied because only 40 percent of kids are even going to be circumcised when he's playing sports like he's gonna he's not going to be the minority he's going to be the majority so it's not something you have to worry about and um so yeah like having really tough conversations um made for a really nice postpartum um Yeah, and setting the boundaries, setting the expectations, like laying it all out and being really raw and vulnerable in what you want and what you need because you have to be. It's a very vulnerable experience.